This Podcast Movement 2022 audio session is brought to you by Supporting Cast, the best way to sell and deliver exclusive podcasts. And special thanks to PM22 Virtual Ticket Presenting Sponsor, Amazon Music. Hi, everyone. Hi, <laughs> Hi I'm Lauren Gonzalez. Uh, thank you for joining. I imagine people will be coming in um, I'd like to introduce myself, Lauren Gonzalez. I'm the senior manager of the content development team at NPR. Um, my role is to support pitching and piloting for new development. Um, and every day I get to ask myself two really big, exciting questions. Uh, what stories do we want to elevate? Uh, and what voices do we want to elevate as well? Um, there has been a long-held status quo in public media and beyond around whose voices are worth airing and uplifting. If you're in this room today, it's because you're interested in elevating Latino and Latinx stories. Uh, maybe it's because you're part of this community and you want to be a better advocate. Uh, maybe it's because you're part of a show or a network that recognizes gaps in your programming um, and you want to do this work with intention, but you don't really know where to start. Um, and you're in the right place, because that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, I'm here today because I was part of an inaugural initiative at NPR that really wrestled with how we can better serve Latino audiences. Uh, and we learned some interesting takeaways that I'd really love to share with you all, and I think it can apply to you wherever you are in your podcasting journey. Um, before I get started, I'd like to preface um, by just acknowledging there are a lot of terms to define uh, Latinidad. Um, and you will probably hear me use many identifiers. I kind of use them interchangeably. I'm pretty fluid with it. A lot of people in my community are too. Um, but just wanted to preface that and let you know that's my MO. Um, okay. Uh, I will be directing to these slides over here, but um, if you can't see it, all good. Um, so a little bit more background around the initiative at NPR that I mentioned. Uh, in 2021, NPR asked its staff how can we better reach and center Latino audiences? Uh, we knew that our mission is to serve and reflect America. And in order to do that and meet that mission with intention, we had to reckon with our current audiences. Um, we ran an internal study that found NPR brand awareness and loyalty was lower among Latinx audiences as compared to white audiences. So we formed an inter I can never say the word interdepartmental. <laughs> Definitely can't speed through it. Um, so we formed a working group. We called it Oye. And uh, we were really uh, there to kind of solve and understand better how we can meet this audience. Um, now, we worked. We ran the numbers. We ran studies. We had a lot of hard conversations. And we presented a strategy to the executive team uh, with a lot of really great ideas, many of which are being implemented today. And it feels really exciting. Um, but I think that um, more than just the projects that are coming, it gave us a foundational understanding of really learning how uh, we can really understand and introduce ourselves to an audience that may not really know us that well um, and is just not coming to us, right? And not only introduce ourselves, but become a place, whether you're a show or a network, right? Whether for Latino audiences to find you relevant and worthwhile. Um, so I'm going to share a few of those takeaways that we learned uh, and would love to make a conversation about it and really curious to hear where you all are at and make this really interactive. Um, before we do that, uh, a quick question. Who in the room here is Latino, Latinx? Can you raise your hand? Oh, wow. Welcome. 
Um, okay, for those who raise your hand, I have a question for you. Um, so just noodle on it, because we're going to come back to it. Um, I want you to think about a piece of media, maybe the first piece of media that you consumed, whether it was a TV show, a movie, a, a, something on the radio, something you read, that felt like it really represented you and your community to the T. That you watched it and you just had this feeling in your gut of like, man, that's me, that's my family, that's my community. Uh, noodle on that, and we're going to come back to that and make it fun. Um, and um, yes, one sec. Okay. So back to the takeaways. Again, these are all of our takeaways around how we can better think about reaching an audience that might not be coming to us. The first thing I want everyone to think about here is that Latino is not a target audience. You got to be more specific. Um, now, you'll hear a lot of folks in media say this a lot. We need more Latinx representation. This whole talk is fundamentally about that, right? Um, but I think that the ironic misstep that we all often make in media is uh, really happens right at the jump, right? When you corral this massive massive demographic into one tidy box. Uh, I think because there are so many Latinos in the room, I know I'm not preaching to the choir, and I know I won't be the only one to say this. We're not a monolithic group. Uh, it's really unhelpful to reduce us, uh, the largest growing demographic in this country, to a few cultural touch points. We're not a slice of the pie, we're a whole pie in and of ourselves. So if you want to reach Latinos, and if this is a gap in your audience you've been dealing with, you've got to be more specific with who you want to reach and why. You got to think about your entry point into this audience. Take time to understand the different ways that Latinos that we dissect and segment ourselves. Take time to think about the way uh, that we segment ourselves and our different needs and preferences within that. Um, and you can do this in many ways. Maybe you can run focus groups if you don't have that time or luxury. There are plenty of Edison reports, plenty of people within your network that you can kind of pick their brain on to better understand what is it that, that you're searching for, right? Then think about your show and think about your network. What is your ethos? What is the listener promise that you seek to meet? And where can you find and deepen alignment between the audiences you seek to center and the show that you're already making and doing it really great? Um, so at NPR, we really landed on our target audience as the bicultural, millennial, Gen Z, urban Latino audience, which, to be fair, is a pretty large size of the pie. But it makes sense for us, right? We are NPR. We, an or we are an organization that is meant to serve on a national scale. Um, a couple of clarifying points for anyone who needs them in the room. By, when I say bicultural, I really mean um, these are folks who are likely first or second generation Latino. Uh, they're bilingual with a preference towards English. But I think psychologically, right, there's this fluidity in the way that we connect to both cultures really seamlessly. And that's a really important psychology and psych psychology to understand uh, if you're trying to create content and curate stories around that. Um, and, you know, it felt very, uh, very clear to us that that was an immediate alignment with NPR, right? Bicultural millennial Latinos have a renewed disposition for wanting to connect with their identity. They're looking for brands and places that will support cultural preservation and keep them in the know. Uh, keeping people in the know is NPR's bread and butter, and it's within our mission, embedded in our mission, to be a place where we can preserve culture. And so it became very clear that an important next step for NPR was to make sure we were preserving culture and stories that reflected Latinidad. Um, so pro tip 
and homework. If you are a show, if you are a network studio, however you identify and define yourself, do this exercise. Uh, try to land and refine your entry point or niche within the Latinx community. Uh, why are you choosing them? Uh, what do you know about them? What do you need to learn? Uh, what are you understanding as their needs and preferences? Um, and how does that align with the thing you're already making? Um, how does that inspire you to deepen and expand the breadth of your programming? So that's takeaway number one. Click. Okay. Takeaway number two. Uh, you're probably already making content that resonates. It just needs the right framing. Um, so as you take steps to expand and infuse your programming, I'm offering a little bit of a caveat and maybe a little bit of grace. You're making a great show, right? Like you are making a great show that resonates with an audience and there's a way to make that apply to other people. Um, so quick pop quiz and you can just shout out. Um, can you name the top three podcast genres for Latino listeners? Comedy. What? Comedy. Comedy, yes, that's one. Music? News? Not news, actually. <laughs> Whoops. But did you, what did you say? Music, yes. Music's the next one. Last one. This one's a little specific, but. Beauty? No. TV and movies. Um, okay, so that's it. That music comes first, then it's comedy, then TV and movies. We like TV. Um, now, what are the top podcast genres across the board? Can we give some guesses? Comedy, yeah. True crime? Actually, no true crime. Well, maybe it's. I'm gonna like answer this. Give it away. It's society and culture, which I can see how true crime fits within that, right? But it's comedy, news, and society and culture. Uh, I think it's very clear that there's a lot of overlap, right? And it's a helpful reminder that Latinos aren't from another planet, right? Like, we have a lot in common, so you can really use that. Um, if you're an independent producer or show, how can you be more intentional about curating different guests who can give you that context and help amplify your message? If you don't know where to start, we should talk about that in our Q&A. Um, if you're a network or a studio, you have the opportunity to think a little bigger. Uh, we've seen the great work that the LA Times, Me Do, and BuzzFeed's Pero Like has been able to do, um, which is bring the Latino lens to the stories that resonate across cultures and backgrounds. Uh, through newsletters and digital verticals that curate this content, content, it's a way of saying, all these stories reflect you because you're part of our community, and we're going to give you the additional vantage point that we know that you need and want. So that's takeaway number two. Takeaway number three. If you want an audience to come to you, you have to meet them where they're at. So at NPR, we knew that we had an awareness problem among Latino audiences. That was clear. Um, but we wondered, is that all it is? So we put things to the test. And we found that when we exposed Latino non-NPR listeners to our content, it was really well received. Both our research in 2018 and 2020 showed that approximately half of Latinx non-NPR listeners, once exposed to our content, rank-tested it highly. People liked what we were doing. Uh, we were just less likely to be in their world. So beyond the right framing and filter from the previous takeaway, it's important for us to think beyond the typical channels and echo chambers for distributing your content. Uh, I know that's a pretty hot take to share at a podcast festival, but RSS feeds can be echo chambers, right? You don't have to do away with them. Uh, but what else are you creating that can help meet audiences where they are and bring them to you? Um, I think a lot of this comes back to how you are defining your audience from the jump. 
who are they and where are they most likely consuming their content. Um, you'll note that we are at NPR uh, identifying both millennial and Gen Z um, as part of our Latino like target and central audience. Um, and we know that younger audiences want video. And so we're trying to meet them there. We've seen already on YouTube and our Instagram audiences are much more diverse and younger. So we're doubling down, right? Uh, we're, we're explicitly creating series that center Latino audiences. We're doing that with a lot of our NPR music. Shout out to Alt Latino, who I think has a session tomorrow, today? I don't know, but check it out. Um, but they're doing fantastic work and really leveraging um, a through line of music um, and meeting that audience where they're at and then creating a clear call to action back to the RSS feed for further engagement around these stories. Um, and, you know, video is not the answer to everything. It's the answer for us because of how we've defined our central entry point. Um, so it depends on who your audience is. One anecdote I really love to share is we have a couple of local stations who recognized a need to... Uh, share news with the local populations who don't speak English. Um, so they started creating Spanish content and quickly realized that a podcast wasn't going to do it. Um, so they started creating and sharing their content through WhatsApp and began really meeting people um, because that's just that's where they were getting their news. They're getting their news from their friends and now they're able to directly share that. Um, and I think that's a great strategy. Okay. Takeaway number four, find the through lines that unite us. We're not a monolith, but that doesn't mean that we don't have through lines that unite us. You gotta find the right angles, media trends, and genres that can be your funnel to uniting and engaging a wider swath of Latinx communities. And I think what's really important is that we're not always looking to be united through stories that focus on the bad and the ugly. We actually respond very well to good news. <laughs> um, remember when I said the bicultural audience is looking for places that will help preserve their culture and their heritage. Because of that, we're gonna respond really well, and we're looking for stories around that, right? We're looking for food stories, we're looking for stories family music stories, we want a tone of warmth and levity and vibrancy that feels really authentic to, to who we are. So keep that in mind. Okay, my final takeaway is my favorite. Um, so takeaway number five, we don't want a show, we want an ecosystem. I think this is a message for the studios and the bigger players who are creating a lot of shows. Um, but it can apply to independent producers as well. I think that if we relegate an audience to one show or one episode, we failed them. We want to do better than that. We want to create and look for an ecosystem that reflects us across the board. Uh, we want to see our voices and points of views reflected from the daily newscast to the comedy podcast. Um, I think a big issue, too, with leaning on one show um, to reflect an entire audience is that you might be so on the nose that you unintentionally miss the mark and alienate that audience entirely. I'm not just interested in listening to NPR's like blanket Latino show just because that's my identity, right? We are looking for shows that are culturally influenced rather than explicit and potentially pandering. So how do we avoid these pitfalls? Uh, how do we create culturally resonant programming? I use, I will preface that I use metaphors that don't always work, but allow me. Um, I like to think that creating culturally resonant programming is like baking a three-layered cake. You have to lead with as much specificity, and that's your layer one, accepting that the way that you tell your story may not fully relate to everyone. And that's okay because it will 
resonate with larger swaths of an audience. That's layer two. And there will be clear universal themes that unite us all. Um, so this brings me back to my original prompt. Um, remember, at the top, I shared uh, for all the Latino, Latina people in the room, what was the first piece of media that resonated with you, that deeply uh, felt like it represented you? And I'd love to just get some folks to share that, uh, share that story. What, what was that for you? I'll come to you with the mic if you're ready to share. Come on, there were lots of hands up earlier. You must have some stories to tell. And it sure. doesn't even, I will allow, it doesn't even have to be the first, but just something that felt like it was on the money for oh, you. Does it matter if they live here in the U.S. or abroad? No, doesn't not at all. Matter. It Go for matter. it. El Pulso de la República. El Pulso de la República. Yeah, it's... What's that about? It's a satirical news kind of talk show that talks about what's happening in Mexico in a way that they inform people that are not really interested in the news, hmm. but still informs them really fast. Why did that feel so authentic to you? Because as a Latin, you know, as a, I'm Mexican, mm -hmm. living in Mexico, if you, a little bit about what you were saying, most of our news is bad. Hmm. Or that's the way the media portrays it. So when you can see it in a perspective where even though you don't find it funny, it doesn't make you cry. Mm. It gives you, an, and I think that's the way a lot of Mexicans are starting to understand what's happening in their country. Mm. We don't, we want the facts, but we don't want the government's opinion. Mm -hmm. We want the people's opinion. Yeah. So that's, I guess that's a show that I identify with. That's great. Thank you for sharing. Anyone else want to step up? Oh, all right, I'm running to you in the back. <laughs> Thank you. Hentified. Okay, can you talk more about it? Why did it feel so resonant to you? Because I've never seen families interact in that fashion in a neighborhood. Um, the family dynamics, the, the different types of Latinos represented, the different, from different places. It's like every, almost every scene had somebody that I knew Mm. that aligned like the person that was working at the market, the person that was like outside of the, you know, taking the bus, like the, the, the school situation, like all of that stuff to me was, it's, I, I cried. I, because, and the switching between English and Spanish and scenes, that was the very first time I saw that. And I, I've never seen my experience as an immigrant in this country that clearly as a show. Yeah. I love that. I love the idea of knowing that that person who's acting as the bus driver could be the bus driver you see every day. That's wonderful. Thank you. Anyone else? Just to see. No pressure. All right. So <laughs> this movie took my whole family to see it. And my mom brought tamales. She snuck in these tamales into the movie theater. <laughs> Coco. Yes. So it reminds me of my family. The grandmom reminds me of my mom. Uh, the kid reminds me of myself, hmm. right? Yeah. So that, that was the movie. That's wonderful. Mm -hmm. I'm so glad that you made it a meal, too. Of that course. <laughs> so beautiful. Well, thank you. Thank you, everyone, who shared. Um, and I put you all on the spot because I think it really proves my point of how important it is to uh, do this work with intention, right? Um, I'd love to share what mine is. Um, 
For me, it's Que Pasa USA. And I really never know if this show has any resonance beyond the Miami Cuban community. Um, so I, for those of you who don't know, Que Pasa USA is the first bilingual sitcom in the US. It aired on PBS. Um, and it showcased the comedic trials and tribulations of a Cuban family who immigrated in the 60s. Um, it's a show much more geared towards my parents' generation, but there's something undeniably about that show that speaks to my experience. Um, it might be the overly involved mother who wants to chaperone all your parties, the lovable father who is a little explodado, the relatives who are always doing the sign of the cross as a method of superstition, your grandmother's couch with the plastic on it, etc. Um, que Pasa USA was vibrant, it was loud, it was a little chaotic, and Que Pasa USA was me. Um, and the show didn't have to belabor the idiosyncratic references that you know, I knew most people wouldn't get uh, because mostly everyone can relate to a crazy family who loves you like hell, who's making sense of a world that feels, where things feel as terrifying as they do possible. Um, and that's the three-layer cake of culturally resonant programming that we're seeking to bake. Um, take the time and effort to find people sharing stories like that and share the mic with them. You'll be better for it. So that's my spiel. Um, I love to open up to questions in a bit, but before I do that, I'd love to announce a special initiative that came out of Oye. Um, so as I mentioned, we made a lot of recommendations, um, and based on this foundational takeaway number five, we don't need one show, we want an ecosystem, we realized quickly on that we wanted to do an incubator. We wanted to invite people who had stories like these um, to join us, to partner with us, and to uh, incubate work around that. Um, so we've partnered with LAS Studios. They're a really phenomenal and fantastic uh, studio that has uh, so much practice and skill in doing culturally resonant work. Um, and so we've come together with them to uh, launch Oye, the lab for Latinx creators. Um, this is going to be a six-week virtual lab where we're working with four teams um, to really refine and flesh out the pitch that they've applied uh, with and uh, land on a proof of concept. Um, the goal here is to partner and deepen our programming as well to bring more Latinx stories to the fold. Um, the, the lab will end with a final presentation where they get to pitch an invited audience of NPR and LAS staff. So we're really excited. Um, this lab will kick off in September uh, after Labor Day. And I'd love to just showcase and highlight the four teams that uh, we have selected. They're not here, <laughs> which feels a little anticlimactic, but um, I, we are announcing it publicly today. And so I, um, I am just so excited to to be able to showcase these really great stories. Yeah, so without further ado, the teams we've got, if my little clicker works, there we go, okay. So first up, we've got Afro-Dia Stories. This series aims to resurface the legacies of trailblazing Afro-Latina women and men across Central and South America and uncover the histories and social movements behind the stories to revise a whitewashed Latin American perspective. Um, we've got two hosts for this show. Uh, we've got Lamar Bailey Caramanites. She is an Afro-Panamanian activist, educator, and facilitator. She's part of Uruhu Valencia. It's an organization fighting against anti-black racism and creating a community of black, African, and Afro-European people of all ages and origins. 
Um, we also have Dash Harris Machado, who's a Peabody Award-winning multimedia producer, coach, facilitator, and doula. Dash is the producer of Negro, a docu-series about Latinx identity. That's the team. We can hold applause at the end. Next up, we've got Excessive, a podcast about being too much. Uh, host Monica Morales-Garcia explores Latinx fashion within our society, where there's a right way to look and sound. Excessive is a celebration of the aesthetics often labeled as tacky or too much, uh, while investigating the complicated power they hold. Uh, Monica Morales-Garcia is a multimedia journalist and fashion scholar from Santa Ana. A former fellow at Latino USA, they obtained a Master of Arts from California State University, uh, where their research explored the intersection of labor and fashion through auto-ethnographic work. Uh, next up, we have The Incredible Man. Uh, the series explores the ip impact of Calimán. This is a popular superhero in Latin America in the late 20th century. Our host, Brian, uncovers the surprising parallels between the hero, his own story, and his father's childhood in Central America. Uh, Brian Aguilar is our host. He's an LA native with a degree in film and TV production from USC. After listening to Serial, he quickly became fascinated by audio storytelling and has worked on a dozen shows ever since, which I'm sure tracks with a lot of people at this festival. <laughs> um, and then finally, we have a glossy. Uh, what happens when you are caught between two worlds that feel at extreme odds with one another, um, but are a lot more similar than you think? This series explores the stories of queer Latinx folks raised in a conservative evangelical households and follows their journeys in redefining belonging. Our host, Jess Alvarenga, is an audio producer and documentary filmmaker from the US South. Uh, they've worked at Futuro and Revealed and used storytelling as a way to document and reimagine immigrant narratives, particularly that of the Central American diaspora. Um, we are so excited to have them. Um, we're launching this workshop in uh, middle of September, and we hope that you follow along on their updates because um, they're bound to create really great work. Um, to that end, thank you. Um, I'm going to open it up. I'm just going to take a little step back so we're not sitting on Jess's. <laughs> there we go. Um, but in any case, I am happy to answer any questions that you had. Um, obviously, I can only speak so much to these projects on behalf of our hosts. Um, but I'm really interested in using this as uh, a way to just talk openly about questions that you have when we're thinking about more authentically and intentionally reaching Latino audiences and hope to make it a conversation. Great, thank you. Thank I'll, you. Anybody, okay, first question here, thank you. You can introduce yourself first and then. Yes. Uh, I'm Memo Nunez, I, well, I, I represent, I'm a content creator and producer from Mexico and uh, also represent RSS.com in Latin America. Great, nice uh, to meet you. One of the things that I wanted to ask is a lot of people in Mexico listen to NPR content. Mm. Uh, we, when we started listening to podcasts a few years ago, we started listening to NPR content because it was available to us, even if it was in English. Yeah. And as time has gone past, I noticed that we still consume NPR content, but we are producing our content and it's permeating in the American content. I was wondering if NPR would be or is interested in interchanging these things. We're saying because it's not the same to make uh, content for Mexico or content for Mexicans. My market is Mexicans mm -hmm. that migrated 
and still want to, you, you still want to. And I think that's a situation that happens in every single community. Mm -hmm. If you're from Guatemala, if you're from Haiti, if you're wherever you're from, when you come here, you want to belong to that. Mm -hmm. And I have an issue with the Latinx, like I said, pillar. I think because we are not the, the same, but we can uh, yeah. feed from each other's stories. Got it. So. Okay, so to make sure I understand the question, I think, tell me if I'm right, mm -hmm. is how do we maybe like create more of a symbiosis yes, exactly. of sharing? Is, if it's, is it in NPR's plans? Yeah. I mean, uh, and then I think what was all, what you also raised is like, how do we think about uh, maybe not converging Latin America and Latinx audiences as being the same? Yeah. So I think that to that latter point, that's something that we are trying to be really intentional about is like, how do we create content that resonates to specific demographics within the diaspora? Right. And and again, knowing that. I think that, like you're saying, there's certain things that can resonate sometimes, but then other times, like sometimes you need the context, sometimes you don't. I don't know if this is gonna make sense, but you kind of like create like a little bit of a Russian doll effect, right? I don't know if that works, but anyways, I um, let me see. My mind is buzzing in many different ways. I think that to the latter point, we are gonna be really intentional about like who is this for, um, and who is this like primarily centering. And how does it reverberate for other groups as well? Like, I think a perfect example is um, where we love and we're so proud of the work Radio Ambulante does. And I think that people can really connect to that, like, no matter the spectrum of their, like, fluidity or fluency, rather, in Spanish. But that does feel like it is going to center a Latin American and less bilingual audience, right? And so we're very intentional, like that is for this audience, but it can still welcome others. Um, so I think, I don't know if I'm answering your question exactly, but I think that this is work that you should always be doing whenever you are creating a new show is you gotta be really niche and intentional of like who is this primarily speaking to? Who can this also resonate with? To like be able to find that overlap. When it comes to are we creating now content that explicitly centers maybe the Latin American experience? I think Yes, I am. We announced this yesterday. We have a partnership with Futuro that we're really excited about. Um, and it will be our first dual language podcast. And I think that is an example of us thinking through like this, uh, like this version is going to fit an audience and also be told in a different way because they're going to the Spanish version as opposed to this audience is coming to the English version. And so we're going to tell it a little different way. And they almost become like sibling podcasts. Um, so we are kind of thinking about that that way, right? And I think it's just about figuring out how, how you define the audience first, how you frame it, how you have to create it for them, and then how is it going to speak to someone else? Did I answer your question? Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Thanks. I'll take one. Um, how is NPR measuring the behavior of the specific audience? Measuring the behavior. Yes. Hmm. Can you say more to behavior? Um, so, you know, how do you know? We're looking, we're hearing a lot today and yesterday about getting interaction from the listeners mm. and knowing if the, if the, or actually getting them involved so they get to say comments, they get to be part of the entire experience. Yeah. I'm wondering if NPR is actually doing any sort of analytics 
to make sure that this the Latino Latina Latinx audience is responding to yeah. the content that they're putting out in a positive way, be it in a negative way, in a romantic way, in a suspicious way, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> totally, I hear that. Okay, so I think that the work that we started out doing at Oye was really in braiding different elements of inputs to help us figure out, again, who do we want to center? Who do we want to start with? What do they want? How does it align to us? And with that, we were really intentional about all the, and like wide with the inputs that were informing that hypothesis that we're making. Um, so like I mentioned, we have an audience insights team um, that ran a lot of studies on our behalf that, you know, kind of like opens up to a more like analytical and driven uh, study. I guess I'm wondering if it's like in-person market research mm. or if it, you're using data that's produced online to measure that. I'm like looking at our like some Oye reps here because I started a little bit after these were. I think we did both. Oh. Jump in. Um, Jump in. Just really quick. So we have done... Um, Market research where, oh, sorry. <laughs> we have done market research with uh, panels and interviews um, and things like that. And then also um, working with firms to get just the content um, to different people who participate in uh, these types of things. And so getting their like actual real responses to things that we are already making. Um, and then once again, we're very lucky to have a team that helps us with this stuff. We dig into the Nielsen data like crazy, like that is such a great resource um, to kind of really pull things. Um, we, as best we can, get analytics um, from our Instagram and YouTube as well. Uh, and then, you know, after a run of a short series, we often will do like a um, survey of that audience itself. Mm -hmm. Like, so putting a call out in your show and just in, once again, that's something you can craft easily for even, you know, for small teams, like just putting those, uh, hey, just, it'll really help us. Or, do you like this? You know, and by doing those different inputs, like we're constantly going, does this work? Is this the result we wanted? Um, mm -hmm. You know, and pivoting if we have to. So yeah, that's yeah. a little bit. Shout out to Erin Register. She was really key and influential in steering Oye. And we also have uh, Sergio Romano here, who is an inaugural member of Oye. Thank you. Thank you for joining. Thanks, Erin. Um, I also will say, too, part of the Oye working group that added a more like human element was making sure that we had majority Latino representation within this working group, because it also allowed us, like, we are our best gut check, right? Like. Um, data will tell us that music is a key entry point, but we also know with the, you know, we can see with the surge in reggaeton fanaticism, right? <laughs> that that's going to be a thing that we want to lean into. So a lot of times, it's also not rocket science. It's a little bit of gut. And that's, um, it's always a hard thing to trust, but usually a really good North Star. I'm just walking this way in case somebody wants to be attracted to the microphone for 30 seconds. Oh, I think we have someone over here. Okay, great. So I listened, I participated, I engaged in a workshop, I guess, that was online um, a few days before attending Podcast Movement. And this was just an answer to your question. It was the um, Edison research. Yeah. I think that's what it was. And it was really good information. Like, I yeah. was really... Like, I didn't know what I was going to receive, but I walked away with so much information because I'm thinking about a show, 
putting something together and I learned, you know, who and the what and what are they doing? What are they looking for? And what and, and they had some really good um, in-person interviews. So that was really good. So that was another research um, thing for you. But yes. another question, which sure. was not um, that, <laughs> is how do you reach the older generation of mm -hmm. Latinos? And um, I am Afro-Latina. That is who I will be speaking to. But I'm trying to tell the stories of my parents, mm. of an older generation, totally. and the people that came before this new generation yeah. of Latinx. And they're all excited and like, woo, woo. <laughs> but, you know, it is great. But it's like, totally. what about them? Like, you yeah. asked, what, what did you see that resonated with you? Yeah. And I was like, oh, no, nothing. There was nothing in my time. I remember Que Pasa USA. Do you? Okay, I good. do. And I was, I almost <laughs> said that. But then I was like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> but there yeah. wasn't anything totally. back in the yeah. day. And I don't want to forget Just, about them yeah i don't want to forget like their stories are real stories totally. and, and they're they were not seen then yeah but i want to turn the lens back and say i saw you i see you totally and because of you i'm here i'm so glad you brought this up because it like reminds me of something really crucial that i missed of like why we said the bicultural millennial audience as the entry point we said entry point because there was a resonance to our brand and a familiarity and they can also be really good ambassadors for us uh, up top and below, right? Um, you need to kind of start the, we saw it as an opportunity to say, if we can really cultivate our relationship and deepen that relationship with the millennial audience, they can be, um, they can speak to our brand um, and hopefully bring in generations across the board. Um, and so I think that um, that is the thing that I want to clarify is that we're not necessarily wanting to limit ourselves off the jump, but you got to start somewhere. And so know where you want to start and how then you can kind of continue creating content that can like speak a little bit more seamlessly across generations. I think one thing worth noting too is maybe in the Edison report or maybe it was the collage report, which is also a good one. I don't know if that's freely accessible. Um, but there's a huge uh, desire in Latino audiences for intergenerational programming and programming around family, right? And so like really leaning into that, you can have a story speak to two generations in different ways. Um, and I know that that has been an interest for us is how can we lean into the intergenerational space, whether it's a cooking show, whether it's a sort of advice show, right? Um, or in the like advice space. Um, to bring in more than just one. So know that we are not limited, um, but finding almost like a funnel, right? Or a path forward to, to welcome more audiences. So thank you for that. Okay. <laughs> thank you, I'm Diego Senor. I'm independent producer, also Latino. I'm uh, working with my own production company from New York, and I'm uh, quite I'm interested in how to build mm, uh, stories for non-Latinos as mm. Latinos, uh, if you are, uh, uh, to cross that section, because otherwise we'll be kind of like talking into our own cacophony, mm. uh, knowing that Latinx and Latinos, Latinas, Latinas, however you want to say it, um, 
we're not a monolith. So we're all always trying to like break out and tell our stories in ways that others would be interested. I'm wondering if there's any insight you can give us in how to accomplish that within totally. NPR. Yeah. Um, so I will say that being on the other side of like a traditional mainstream media, I can say I think across the board, we are all hungry for that collaboration um, and seeking that partnership. And so I think there is space uh, to pitch and, and kind of step beyond and say like, hey, I've got a really great story. Like, where can we find convergence here? Um, so that's step number one. And I think we're in the space to do that, to make those connections and share, hey, this is you're like identifying a gap and I can fill that. Like, how can we make that happen? I think that's really important. Um, I think too, there are so many spaces right now where people, where we are creating these like verticals, newsletter and engagement strategies that don't just depend on like what that network specifically is producing. And that's just a great first way in, right? Is like, how can you get within this like mainstream fold and channel to better promote and amplify? So I think that um, what I, that might be very broad advice, but I, what I really want to hone in on is I think there's an appetite and an interest um, to like go for it and pitch because people are welcome for it. And the only way that we're going to break our collective or different echo chambers and silos is if we can meet in the middle. Yeah. Thank you. I think we have time for one more question. If anybody wants to get their thoughts or comments out, now would be the time. Great. Okay. Big. Thank you, Lauren. Thank are, you. Are people welcome to come and greet you? At the oh, front? for sure. Okay. So yeah, you're welcome to come up to the front and meet Lauren. Thank you. Thank you.